Thanks, guys. Good morning, Victory Point. Oh, I found a phone. It's awesome. Here you go. My name's Matt, and uh, welcome to Victory Point this morning. Welcome to allergy season two. Can I just acknowledge that? Like, every year, I'm not, I'm not sure if I have allergies or not. Some years I think I might. Some years I think I don't. Pretty sure I do this year. So just be careful. It's good no one's in the front rows, because if I start sneezing... I'm a loud sneezer, right? I'm a loud sneezer, and I usually sneeze at least three times. Any other, like, triplet sneezers here? It's always three, right? So if I start sneezing, I'd back up if I was you guys. And my eyes are watering. Crozier walked in this morning. He thought I was crying in the prayer room. Like, I'm not crying. I was just, I got allergies, okay? I mean, if you see me tearing up today, it's, it's only because I have allergies. All right, well, we, uh, we started a new series last week. It's called The Secret Place. And uh, Pete was here, and he kicked that off. It's a three-week series. And here's what we mean by secret place. The secret place is anywhere in my life that I'm making room for God. The secret place is where we become more like Jesus. Living from the secret place is learning to abide in Christ and to live our lives out of that. And in this series, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about our inner life and how our inner life is the source of the rest of our life. And today we're going to continue along that thread. So I'd invite you, if you have a Bible or you'd like to follow along, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. First book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. You can find it on your device or Bible app if you'd like. Um, that's where we're going to be today. And then next week, we're going to wrap up the series. Actually, uh, Tom Bursma Sr. is going to be teaching next week. So uh, that's going to be super cool. A lot of you know Tom is a, a teacher by trade. And uh, last year, he did a series, you know, I think on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights where he was just going into church history. Just a very gifted teacher and a champion of prayer. And uh, Tom is going to talk about the, the inner life of prayer. In, in the role, that, the central role that that plays in our life. And I think uh, Tom and, and Drew, who's on the drums this morning, are going to also share their Generation Spark kind of story. Um, that you're going you're gonna to be hearing from our Generation Spark teams over the next couple months uh, throughout the summer. We're going to have different ones up here just sharing kind of what they did and what they found, offering, you know, encouragement and challenge to us as a congregation. So that's going to be really cool. That's next week. Tom will be teaching about prayer. And speaking of prayer, I would just invite you and ask you to uh, please pray for me. I have a really cool opportunity. Uh, This Wednesday, I'm getting on a plane and heading to Israel for 16 days. Going to be on a study trip with Ray Vanderlaan. I'm super excited to just uh, be immersed into the culture and the context of where Jesus walked and I just, I, I have a feeling that the, this is going to come alive in ways that I'm, I have no idea, right? Sheila, is she here this morning? Is she not here this morning? I know she was really transformed by that. My son was really transformed by that trip last year, and he's a lot of the reason I'm going. Uh, he, ever since Reese got back from his trip to Israel, he's like, Dad, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go with Ray. And uh, so he even like got the wheels spinning for me and uh, actually contacted Ray and asked if his dad could go along on a trip. And one thing led to another. And uh, I'm leaving this Wednesday for 16 days. So I would covet your prayers, welcome your prayers. Um, I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait to, to just be in that land, soaking it all in. So... Um, I'll promise that not every message will have Hebrew stuff in it, you know, from that point forward. But you never know. You never know what's going to happen. All right, well, let's get into it this morning. Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, going to read through 18. Watch out, Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. I'm not like, you know, I didn't mean to alarm you, but Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They've received all their reward that they will get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, he says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. So pray like this. And this is the Lord's prayer, right? He says, pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast... Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, here's what I want you to do, Jesus says. Comb your hair, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. It's kind of an obscure passage. It's not one you hear taught on a lot. When Brendan and Pete and I were sitting in my living room like three weeks ago and just kind of planning out, you know, this next series in the summer, um, this one just sort of bubbled up for us. This passage actually became the stimulus for this series, The Secret Place. So we're just going to dive into that this morning, dive into the principle behind it. And as we do that, will you pray with me? Lord, we believe that everything we just read is the inspired, holy, living, breathing word of God spoken to us through the Son of God. It's completely true. It's food and fuel and life for us today, just like it was for Jesus' hearers back then. And I pray, Lord, that as we engage with this passage that you will open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our very lives to the things that you want us to hear this morning and that we will not just hear them, we will put them into practice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
All right, so uh, a couple weeks ago, on May 22, my daughter, JC, our second child, graduated from high school. Yesterday, we had her graduation open house. And, and I'm just overwhelmed by the number of people that, that we call community in our life. Our extended family of friends and, and relatives um, who showed up and uh, just blessed her and supported us as a family. And, you know, like any of you who've had a child, you know, graduate or been to a graduation open house, you know there's lots of memorabilia usually, you know, in place. And ours was no exception. Uh, Tori and JC did a great job. Like our whole garage walls were covered with, with pictures just strolling down memory lane. And I couldn't help myself, you know, like yesterday uh, before the open house and, and even after the open house. And even this morning as I'm walking out through the garage, like, like different pictures catch your attention and catch your eye. And, and you just start, you know, you start seeing all these pictures of like little tiny JC. And, um, and, and I can't help but like just getting kind of like, you know, it's, it's the um, allergies. But, <laughs> but you just can't help but like, man, I wish she was still little. I wish she was still little because there, she's, she grew up way too fast. And that's what happens, isn't it, parents? Like, to any of you that have a small child, like be fully present in every moment because it goes really, really fast. Everyone says like, it'll go fast. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it really does. It goes fast. Like I'm looking at these pictures when she's really little, when she's born, and now she's 18 and she's graduated from high school. And there's so many things in me and in my heart that I feel like I still haven't told her, that I still want to teach her, that I still want to show her about life. And now she's going off on, on this gap year mission trip. You know, in September, she'll be gone for nine months to four countries on three different continents. And there, there's so much, like, I, I, I want to download into her and pour into her as her father. I want everything and anything that is good and that is beautiful and fulfilling, I want for her. I also want her to watch out for the things in life that rob you of that sort of stuff. I want, I want her to know all this. And I think that's the heart of this passage. I think that's the heart of, of what Jesus is trying to teach here this morning. Did you notice how many times in this little passage we read that Jesus uses the word father? How he talks about the father in, in the father's heart and in, in who the father is. He uses the word father a lot. I mean, God is indeed a mighty king with a kingdom, but he's also a good father, which makes us his children. That's a core, central, foundational piece of our identity. God is a good father who wants good for his children. Anyone who's a parent can understand that. We want good for our children. God's a good father. He wants good for his children. He wants his children to live fulfilling lives. That's why Jesus came, not just to save us, to get us to heaven, but because he came to show us, to show us what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God, to live life rightly and fully. God the Father is better than any father we have ever, ever experienced in our lives. God is a good father who protects his children. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage that we read. He's warning the children of God about the things that can be dangerous to our lives, that can rob us of the life that God has for us. It's what good parents do, right? We get that. It's what parents do. We do our best to protect our children from the dangerous stuff of the world. We say stuff, right? Don't run with scissors. 
because we're good parents. We want to protect our children. Don't run with scissors. We say things like, don't play in traffic, right? Don't play with fire. What, are, what other kind of things do we tell our children not to do to protect them? I couldn't think of any others. Anybody? I think it's just those three things. <laughs> Anybody got any others? Well, as long as we don't run with scissors, play in traffic, or play with fire, we're going to have fulfilling lives. I'm convinced of it. In Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, sons and daughters. That's who you are. That's who I am. Sons and daughters. Be careful. There's a wrong way to do right things that, that can ultimately harm you. And what's crazy is these three illustrations that Jesus chooses to use. Note they're illustrations, they're not laws, but the illustrations he chooses to use are, are giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. I mean, kids, kids in the room right now. I just want to talk to the kids who are in the room. Like, has your mom and dad ever come up to you and said things like, I think you're praying too much. I think you're praying too much. I think you better back off on the prayers. I think you're, think you're giving too much. I think you're being way too generous. I think you, you need to back off on your, your generosity. I mean, that, that's not what Jesus is saying. But I think what he is saying, though, is even when it comes to good things, and even when it comes to right things, there's a wrong way to do right things. That We can do right things wrongly. And I think that's the heart of what he's trying to get at in this passage. Now remember, this passage is in the bigger context of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' discourse up on the hill. I'm hoping I get to like maybe see that spot, you know, when I'm over there. But, uh, or where they think that might have happened. But this is the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's where Jesus is teaching his disciples then and now, and in the, anybody listening, what life in the kingdom of God is to be like and what it looks like and how children of God, of the king, are supposed to live. Jesus has already described so far in the Sermon on the Mount what it means to be blessed. You know, blessed, it's the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are this, is this person. Blessed is that person. So he's talked about, you know, who is blessed in the kingdom of God and what the goodness of the kingdom heart looks like. Now in chapter 6, Jesus alerts us to something, and it's really, really subtle, that will block or hinder a life of constant interaction and devotion and intimacy with God and healthy growth in the kingdom of God. What Jesus is warning about is being careful about desiring the approval of others. Be careful about desiring the approval of others. I I just got to admit, I'm a recovering approval-aholic. I am. I mean, I, that, that used to be and still kind of is sometimes so important to me about what other people think. Sometimes I'm way more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks. I know you probably can't identify with that, but you can just pretend like you understand what I'm talking about. Like, right? When, when we, we care so much about what other people think rather than our Heavenly Father and that's, I gotta, you know, I can self-admit, that's a weary way to live. It's a, it's a heavy way to live. Brendan was talking about burdens this morning. I mean, that, that's a burdensome way to live. And I don't know, you know, why that was, I mean, I, I've thought about this. Why, why was that? 
Why has that been something that I've struggled with? You know, I think I've experienced great victory in, but, you know, I've struggled with in the past. Just insecurity, you know, just not having my identity grounded in the right person, in Jesus Christ. I mean, it, there's all kinds of things. I, I think of that, this song came to my head this week as I was thinking about all this. Like, anybody grow up, like, in the, the Christian rock era of the 80s at the band Petra? Anybody remember the band Petra? Yes, Petra. You know, remember that song they had? Like, you know, um, I want to be a God pleaser, don't want to be a man pleaser. You remember that? Yeah. Like, that, that, I started thinking about that song this week because, man, that was me. Like, that's my heart. I want to be a God pleaser. I don't want to be a man pleaser. I think, I think the Apostle Paul even struggled with this because I, I was thinking about this passage in Galatians. This is how Paul speaks in Galatians 1.10. He said, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I sense that Paul, maybe in his transition from Pharisee, you know, to Jesus follower, I, I, like struggled with this too. Like, like whose approval am I after? Whose approval is important to me? So I just want to make a few observations and then give us some reflection time, you know, this morning on this passage. So here's just some sweeping general observations from what Jesus says in Matthew 6. First of all, when, when he started out, did you notice he said, you know, when you do your good works, you know, and then he talked about, you know, three examples or illustrations. He, he talked about, you know, giving to the needy, talked about praying, he talked about fasting. I just want to point out that, um, that Jesus expects us to do good works, because he, he said, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He didn't say if, he said it when. He expects us to do those things. He expects us to, to do good works. I mean, that's all through the scriptures. In, in Ephesians, Paul says this. He says, for we're God's masterpiece. That's who we are. We, we are his handiwork in other translations. God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Since before the creation of the world, God has ordained us and planned for us to do good works. That, that's not negotiable. That, that's not an option. You know, It's an expectation that he has for us. Another thing, though, that caught me, I tried to sort of emphasize it when I was reading through the passage, but did you catch how God sees and knows everything. That phrase was repeated three different times. When your father who sees everything. When your father who sees everything. When your father who sees everything. Just pause a moment and let that sink in. Our good father sees everything. Are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with God seeing everything in your life, both what's public and private? Because we can't escape that fact. God sees everything. It reminded me of, of this verse in Hebrews. Might be Paul, we're not really sure who wrote Hebrews, but the writer says this, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is, is laid bare, is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he's the one to whom we have to give an account. I remember um, a guy by the name of Mike Iaconelli. Some of you are familiar with Mike Iaconelli. Like, he was a youth ministry guru, like back in the 80s. And, and when I started in youth ministry, you know, in the um, early 90s, like, was really formed by a lot of his, like, resources and, and teaching. 
I remember him once talking about this passage. Like, what does it mean to have my life laid bare? What does it mean to have everything, you know, kind of exposed to God? He, he said in the Greek, in, in, you know, when you translate that into English, there's kind of three metaphors that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get at when he's trying to help us understand that God sees everything. He said, number one, first, it's, it's like a wrestler's term. You know, like, like for those of you who are wrestlers, uh, you know, when you pin somebody down and, and they can't move and they're forced to look at you in the eye, like, because that's all they can do because they're pinned, it kind of, that's what this is talking about. Or it talks about how, um, like sometimes when, when people were prisoners and especially the condemned were marched out to die, uh, sometimes they would, they would uh, tie a dagger underneath their chin right here, like around their neck and tie their hands so that they were forced to look up. Like you, you can't look down and avoid eye contact as you're marching through the crowd so that everyone can sneer at you and throw things at you. And um, like you're, you're forced to look. Or the other imagery was, um, it was like a filleting term. You know, like when you fillet a fish with a filleting knife, like everything is kind of exposed and, and pulled open and laid bare. Those are graphic, aren't they? That's what it means to, to have our lives laid bare before God. That's what it means that God sees everything. He, he literally sees everything. And on the one hand, that's sort of scary. Like, on the other hand, it's sort of freeing because you know what? There's no place to go or to hide except into the arms of Jesus. There, there's, I have no place to escape. He sees it all. He knows it all. So my, like, I might as well just embrace it. I might as well just embrace it. And I, and I think that's a little bit of the heart of what Jesus wants to convey here this morning in this passage is God sees everything. He sees everything. Can't hide from God. And then there's this rewards thing going on too. Did you catch that? Like he, he contrasts two different types of rewards in this passage. There, there's earthly rewards and there are heavenly rewards. And he talks about the hypocrites. The hypocrites, he said, they're the people who get their rewards in full here on earth in this life. Those are the people who care about getting recognized by other people. So that's all they're going to get is recognition by other people, Jesus says. If that's all you care about, that's all you're going to receive. And the word hypocrites is interesting. Some of you have heard this before. In the Greek, the word hypocrite, you know, it really comes from in, in the Greek theater, like an actor. Uh, an actor on stage. I mean, theaters were a big thing back in Jesus' day. There was theaters near where he grew up. Um, people, you know, went to theaters. And uh, so when he used this image, when he used the word hypocrite, that was a very vivid image. People would, would grab onto that and understand what he's talking about. Hypocrites are the actors, the people who wear a mask. They're the people um, who, who hide their true identity or their true self behind a false identity. Jesus is saying, because he's a good father, saying, don't be like them. Don't be like that. Don't be fake. Don't, pro don't project a false image. Your outer life should be an overflow of your inner life, not a cover-up of your inner life. Your outer life should be an overflow of your inner life, not a cover-up. Jesus is reminding us that if what we're looking for, if all we care about is human approval in what we do, we do just for that, then that's all God will let us have. He's going to courteously stand aside and let that happen because what we're implying is that he's not needed. 
And God's a really courteous God. His nature is courteous. He's not going he, he, to be present where he knows he's not wanted. And God knows when he's wanted and when he's not wanted in our lives. He's respectful of that. When our aim is simply just to impress the people around us, God lets us. But that's all we get. But there's a heavenly reward, he says. There, there, I, don't know, I don't know what it is, but, he, but he talk, maybe it's just like knowing Christ more fully. But um, there, there's going to be a day when we stand before God and we give an account for our lives. Not talking about salvation. I mean, Jesus, Jesus takes care of that. I'm talking about giving account for how we lived our lives, for, for our careless words, for our actions. And, and, and there's, some sort of, there's, there's some sort of reward that we get. And Jesus is saying, like, don't, don't worry about human reward. You're covered by your, your heavenly reward. There's a, there's a Christian thinker and, and writer that some of you have maybe heard of. His, his name is Oz Guinness. You ever heard of him? Oz Guinness. He's a smart guy. He once he, he came across this quote. He, he was studying the Puritans of, of America, like the, the, the Puritans, and he, he made this description of them, or he had this to say about them. He says, as I watched them, they live as if they stood before an audience of one. They carried on their lives as if, as if the only one whose opinion mattered were God. I kind of like that imagery of an audience of one. What would it look like to, to live as if the only person watching was God? Would your, let me ask you this question. Would you, would you live your life differently if God were the only one watching you? Are there things that you would do that you aren't doing? Or are there things that you'd stop doing that you are doing if God were the only one watching? That's a sobering question. Would you live your life differently if God were the only one watching? Because the answer should be no. That's who I'm living for regardless. But is it? I think of this verse in Colossians. This audience of one thing, it, it transcends just giving and praying and fasting. Paul says, Whatever you do, doesn't matter. Fasting, praying, giving, whatever. Whatever you do, going to work, going to school, whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Jesus wants us to be so eager to love and please God that we will do everything we should do for his eyes only. Here's the heart of Jesus' teaching, I think, in Matthew 6. The heart is this, the heart. That's what Jesus cares about. He cares about our hearts. God wants our heart. He wants our devotion. He wants our love, our worship, our intimacy. He wants our motivation. He wants all of us. Why? Not because he's selfish, but because he's a good father. And he understands that a life centered around him and his ways are way better, freer, more fulfilling than a life centered around ourselves or a life centered around pleasing others. Now understand, I just want to make this little disclaimer. Understand what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not saying that we should hide our good deeds. 
Now, while that might be wise in some situations, I don't think that's the point Jesus is trying to make. There's nothing wrong with our good deeds being known. I mean, earlier in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before all people, right? You know, so he's not saying we should hide our good deeds. The issue here is intent and purpose and motivation. It's a heart issue. Like a little bit earlier, you know, if you read in, in Matthew 5 when Jesus is teaching on what life in the kingdom looks like, remember there's that teaching on adultery. He talks about adult, you know, you've heard said adultery is this, but adultery of the heart is this. You know, what, he, what he's saying there is, you know, it's not did we look at someone and sexually desire them, but did we look at someone in order to sexually desire them? That's the difference. Okay, that's what becomes adultery. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying not like, he's not saying it's bad to be seen doing a good work. He's saying, but are we doing a good work in order to be seen? That's the difference. It's okay to do a good work and have it seen. But if you're doing the good work in order to be seen, that's the difference. When recognition is the motive for doing what we should do anyway because we love Jesus, We're kind of preempting God's role in our life and removing him out of the equation. Jesus is pointing beyond our actions to the source of our actions, to our character. The kind of people people who've been so transformed in the secret place by their daily walk with God that good deeds just naturally flow out of them, out of their character, that's precisely the kind of person that whose left hand would have no idea what their right hand is doing. It's become so natural to them, it's not even conscious. It's like when you drive. Are you really conscious of what you're doing? You're just driving. When you're speaking in your native language, are you concentrating on how to speak in your native language? It's just flowing out of you. That's what Jesus is, I think, getting at. The heart of this, of what he's trying to teach us is, it it just, you know, when you grow your character to be more like Jesus in the secret place, then these things come out in the right way. They come out for the right reasons and with the right motivation. God, those are the kind of people that get, God, that get God's attention. Those are the kind of people that God desires to partner with in the kingdom of God. Dallas Willard said this. He said, the decisive motive for acting as well as not acting, must be our regard for the kingdom of God in which we live as Jesus' people. What Jesus is offering us in Matthew chapter 6 is a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline. A discipline is an activity that we do in our power that we do so to enable us to do what we cannot do by our direct effort. Jesus is leading us into the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Oswald Chambers, love Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, right? Great daily devotion. He said this once, he said, my worth to God in public is who I am in private. My worth to God in public is what I am in private. It's in the secret place where our motivations are purified. It's in the times of abiding with Christ that we're reminded of who and not what our identity is grounded in. It's in our intimacy and relationship with God that we are commissioned to live and to act unto God and Him alone. Our inner life forms our outer life, not the other way around. I want to invite the band to come on forward. I'm going to close with a song. Then we got something special after that.
But, but here's what I want you to catch. I think it's really simple. At the center of this passage is a promise. And here's the promise. God sees us. God sees us. He notices us. He gives each of us his divine attention. And he wants us to know that we are worthy of his care and his concern. And he cares about our inner life. He cares about our heart. He cares about our character. What is he saying to you this morning? What is he saying to you this morning? Are you sitting here this morning heavily burdened, big weight, because you're caring way too much about your reputation? You're caring way too much about what other people think and way too little about what God thinks? I got very, very good news for us this morning. It's this. You can't win or earn God's approval. You already have it in Christ. You can't earn it. You already have it. You can't win God's approval. All you can do is live out of it now. Live out of it freely and lightly with no concern about other people's approval because you already have the Father's approval. He delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. He loves you. His Son dwells in you. He wants you to to just pay attention to that. And this other stuff will just flow out of that. So what's he saying to you this morning? Are you living for an audience of one? What's one thing you could do this week to practice the discipline of secrecy? To live and do things without any worry about other people knowing about it. God's enough. God, God seeing it is enough. What would it look like to live a life like that? Just spend a second just reflecting on that, praying to God, discerning what he's saying. Is there something you need to do about it? And then we're going to sing a song. Lord, we just confess to you this morning that we get tripped up sometimes and we care more about what other people think than what you think. We confess that sometimes we do things, good things, because we really want people to see it. We know that's not a, you know, that's still good, but that that only goes so far. I mean, it, it doesn't go beyond this life, this earth. Lord, we want to be about the things that transcend this earth. We want to be about the things of the kingdom of God, which is in us and has no end. Lord, continue to form Christ more fully in us in the secret place as we abide with Christ so that the life we live resembles his 
not anyone else's. That we care about the things Jesus cared about. We do the things Jesus did. It's as simple and as challenging as that, but that's the kind of people we want to be. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's